Hello, everyone. This is Smoke the Podcast, episode 23. Well, what what we got in store for everybody today? Oh, man. Um, What don't we have in store for everyone (laughs) today? So today's cigar is going to be a Torpedo Connecticut Nub. Um, and the whiskey we got tonight is the, uh, the Fistful of Bourbon whiskey. Wow. And our firearms topic is traveling with firearms. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I think it'll be a fun, uh, fun amount of stuff to cover. Hopefully we can educate some people. Well, yeah. at least on what we know. I mean, obviously we're not lawyers, so yeah. don't take legal advice from yeah, us. Yeah, we have to make that disclaimer every time, <laughs> over, over and over. All right, um, so we actually, a little bit different from what we usually do, we usually light the cigars first, um, but since today we have these uh, nub torpedoes, we decided to light them on air. Yeah. So bear with us. You're going to want to probably take the wrapper off this one. I know uh-huh. you like to have the wrappers on, I think, your cigars, but you're going to smoke this thing down to the nub. <laughs> <laughs> so since it's a torpedo shape... Um, what do how how much do you recommend you take or how much do you take off personally? So when I do it, I really don't take a whole lot off because you are gonna smoke it pretty far down. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you feel like the draw is good, it's you're decent. You're you're not gonna even go nearly as far down on the cigar as you would like a normal torpedo. Just check the draw with that cut there. All right, my draw feels good. Yeah, because mm. and again, the output of smoke on these things is so intense. That it's gonna be more like a kind of like a punch cut like that. Okay. I don't know how you did yours, but kind of about the same. That's a little weird. I got a little spice already right off the uh, on the lips. Okay. And I haven't even lit, lit, lit I haven't even lit this thing yet. Well, uh, while you start lighting yours, I'll go through the facts on it. So this is a 464 nub um, torpedo Connecticut. So Connecticut. Um, this is the description from Cigar International. It's a uh, smooth. Silky wrapper, mellow and creamy to start, with a rich, somewhat sweet core. The aftertaste is toasty but crisp. Uh, Toasted cedar through the nose, medium bodied, with a rich, milky texture. So, they actually use the word milky. Um, Milk, milk, milky. Yeah. I don't know why I wanted to say milk with the E. (laughs) That is not correct. Well, it's definitely got like um, that creamy texture on the tongue, which I kind of understand now. When when I first started smoking cigars, I didn't um, understand what they meant. <coughs> Excuse me. Woo, this has got a high smoke output. Yeah, that's why um, you don't need to cut a huge circle on this one. I didn't understand what they meant by creamy, but I kind of I kind of get it now. It's almost like the smoke's creamy, like it's uh, like it's thick. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a weird um, description when you hear it, and then you actually taste the cigar, and you're like, oh, I, I get it now. It's like one of those things where you have to experience it. Yeah, it's but more man, of a textural thing than a tasting. I mean, we uh, we just barely lit these things, and the smoke output is already just insane. Like, yeah. it's, uh, they're not, they don't stop smoking. I didn't light mine very good, so I'm going to have to give me a little... Yeah, uh, you got to touch yours up. Okay, perfect. So I'll go about some of the unique facts. The, the biggest one that I thought um, was kind of interesting about nubs, and I've known this for a long time, but their Connecticut's are medium body, which typically our Connecticut's are, are light bodied cigars. They're like lighter, easier, um, 
smoking cigars, and these are actually on the the like solid medium side. Yeah. Um, the the name the four sixty four torpedo Connecticut comes from four inches in length and a sixty four ring gauge, which means it's an inch thick. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's pretty crazy. And then, Cigar International has these listed for a box of twenty four. Um, at about one seventy five, one hundred and seventy five bucks. Yeah, these are. Um, I, I think the price might drive some people away because of the short uh, cigars, but these are really good cigars. Um, I believe these are made by Oliva. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, and we've done. I think we've done a, an Oliva or two before, mm -hmm. and I am a huge fan of their cigars. Um, these ones are nice too because you can literally set it down and they'll stay they'll stay smoking pretty yeah, much. Yeah, these down are the edge. really well constructed. Of I've had a number of uh, nubs in my cigar smoking career. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, they're they're pretty good. They're, they've always um, been very well constructed. I know a lot of people try to um, smoke the ash all the way down uh, and not ash the cigar one time. I've seen people try to do that. Um, and you can get pretty pretty far. Yeah, with these. I, I don't know say, about these torpedoes. I've done it. I've I've gotten pretty pretty darn close to the very end. And yeah, had the ash stay. The torpedoes, um, I guess, because the shape, they just look longer than a normal nub. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I've ever had a torpedo nub to be honest, but it's it's interesting. Yeah. To me, I actually like them better. Um, you have a tendency to smoke them a little slower because you cut the ring gauge or you cut um, at the top. I mean, the ring gauge tapers down so much. That you can actually have a lighter draw, because I feel like sometimes the regular nubs are a little over overpowering. Like I'd rather uh -huh. use a punch cutter to smoke them, so you're not getting like an insane amount of smoke. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I'll say though too, this is this is something from that I, I directly uh, stole from Cigar International as well. Um, it's kind of their about nub. It's a statement about nub. So nub cigars started as a theory. Born in the Oliva factory, a cigar maker was hell-bent on proving he could capture the essence, a.k.a. the core of a cigar's flavor, immediately upon lighting and throughout the duration of the blend. Well, they nailed it. Nub Connecticut is perhaps the fan favorite of the bunch, and it's most certainly the smoothest. But regardless, whichever blend and size you pick, Nub is sure never to let you down, which I can say with absolute sincerity every nub cigar i've ever had does not have that first third bite or roughness to it yeah. they come off immediately with great taste great smell like it feels like you're already in the second third of your cigar when yeah. you light them up been smoking this thing for a while it seems like mm -hmm. that's kind of why um i thought it was a good idea to to wait light them on the air yeah um because you know other cigars are your full-size cigars I feel like it takes a while for the flavors to really develop. Oh yeah. This is uh, th this um, theory that they had. They really <laughs> executed it pretty well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, any other notes on the cigar initially? I mean, other than it's it is exactly what they build it up to be. Smooth, yeah, very smooth. Creamy. Um, I don't get a spice at all. I think it mentioned spice in there, and I don't, I don't get any kind of spice whatsoever. Um, I got it off the raw, like without it lit, just checking the draw. I got some spice, but yeah, me too. Which is weird, spite, a little spice in the lips. Mm -mm. But it says the aftertaste is toasty but crisp. I'm I'm not really getting a whole lot of. It's really just smooth and and almost like yeah, milky or creamy. Yeah, I got the um, toasted cedar through the nose. I don't know, like like oh, we've through said the before. Nose, yeah, like we've said before. Um, I don't know if that's just uh, me reading that and then. <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess I can kind of get that. Yeah. Yeah, I got a little bit. But and I you, also you get a lot of the, you get a lot from the nose with the high smoke output of these things. Yeah. It's even nice. even not even uh, um, taking any draws. It, it just if you leave it on the ashtray, it's going to be smoking a lot. Yeah. Well, um, what whiskey do we have today, sir? All right, I'm going to pour it. Okay. We have a fistful of bourbon. Um, do you remember we did taste this in a previous episode? Did we? Was this part of our... Uh... Oh, no, no, no. So I have a unique fact about this. Okay. This was actually given to me by um, one of our, our frequent guests, um, Corwin, um, who comes on and he, he did uh, the different wing sauces. Mm -hmm. um, and he has been a, a surprise guest on a couple other episodes, I believe. Or he's, you know, he's always hanging out with yeah. us. So um, oftentimes he's here in the background. Um, but this was a birthday gift to me just recently. So okay. I think you and I might have tried it, some of it. Um, I know Corwin and I drank quite a bit of it. Um, and well, it's, This bottle is uh, a little more than half empty. No, it's a little less. Because <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, I'm just teasing. No, no, no. I, I'm, I mean, it's delicious. It's really good. And it's super smooth. It's like one of those ones that you could have at the end of any night. And it kind of makes sense. But... So according, where do we pull this? This uh, is from Breaking Bourbon. Breaking Bourbon. Yes. Uh, Breaking Bourbon has a lot of information on different bourbons, so check that site out. Yeah, they're um, awesome. Description on the nose, it says, pear, green apple, and mint. Hmm. I mean, that, that, that's yeah. a very... Accurate. Yeah, very good It literally smells like I one of those definitely caramel, smell the green apple, apple. caramel apple pops. Definitely smell the green apple. I think, to me, green apple's probably the most uh, prevalent oh, there. Yeah. Um, so it says, uh, pear, green apple, and mint before following with sweet corn and lemon. Uh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> maybe yeah. a little lemon. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, the green, green apple, it's, 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 it's like a sour smell, not, yeah, but it, not a bad sour smell. No, it smells like, yeah, those, uh, those caramel apple, apple pops. pops. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, on the palate, it's, um, quite floral at first sip before transitioning to lemon, corn, toffee, vanilla, and oak. Okay. That is a wide range. Yeah. Range of flavors, and then um, what about the uh, sip. the finish? Uh, finish says a touch of heat, anise, toasted nuts, and a dash of cinnamon before settling on oak. So it's oh. supposed to be pretty oaky. Cheers, thank you, Corwin. Definitely um, sweet up front. Mm -hmm. And then oaky on the finish for sure. Yeah, oaky on the finish. I like it. It's very smooth. Yeah, um, it's quite flavorful too for being as smooth as it is. I do taste a little, I mean, maybe it's the mix of the cigar, but I do taste a little bit of coffee, not toffee. Um, mm, I kinda, a little bit. I kind of get that. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, get, a little, get my cigar going a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's surprisingly very flavorful for as smooth as it is. Yes. Because I know you always talk about how you dislike bourbons that are so smooth that there's no flavor to it well yeah that's typically what you're um you're sacrificing with smoothness smoothness is a little bit of a flavor um this is a pretty good uh man i'm like <laughs> i'm sorry smoke. the smoke output is just like insane right now i feel like i can't even um like take a breath but um yeah there's definitely a lot of flavors going on it's well, smooth as far as the burn um, but uh, pretty oaky. I think it has a lot to do with its namesake. Yeah. The fact that it's made with five bourbons. Yeah. Um, so some unique facts, obviously. 
we said this a number of times, it's made from five different bourbons, so mm -hmm. it's blended. Um, it's only about $25 a bottle. Yeah, which is surprising. Yeah, this is um, pretty good for $25 a bottle. Um, I wouldn't mind this being kind of like an everyday drinker. If yeah. this is something you like, Yeah. Um, definitely go for it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, read the back of the bottle here. Okay. So a fistful of bourbon. It's a blend of five straight bourbon whiskeys. Uh, created with over 100 years of whiskey blending experience. So the barrel profiles on this, um, they have uh, one is the uh, backbone. Uh, that's the main one, uh, balanced and sweet. Uh, the, the other barrel is green leafy floral. Okay. The third is soft spices with a hints of nutmeg. Uh, the fourth barrel is buttery toffee. And the fifth barrel is uh, cinnamon licorice. Mm, which is where the anise Yeah, pretty much. From. Um, so it says, we've been a, a blending award-winning whiskey for generations. Uh, now we've, uh, so now we're going all in on bourbon, uh, sourcing and blending five straight whiskeys to create a big balanced bourbon that stands apart from everything else. Cool. Um, and it's award-winning. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to ask, yeah, we, we kind of came up with that question. Actually, I think it was you that came yeah. up with that question. I feel like every bourbon that I've ever tasted is award-winning. Right. And I, I don't know if, if there's just, like, a huge amount of bourbon awards out there, but they can't possibly all win. I mean, I guess there's a lot of year like, each year they, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I've ever heard of a bourbon winning, like, three or five different years in a row, you know? Yeah, I don't well, know. what we should do is probably research that and... Uh, How bourbon maybe, awards work? Yeah, maybe uh, do a little uh, part of an episode dedicated well, to that. I know we've mentioned that, like, sometimes companies give or have a way to give out awards so that way they can say that their product is award-winning or that their yeah. service is award-winning. Um, so I wonder if that's also kind of the case too. But regardless, I would say that this is worthy of a reasonably priced, good-tasting bourbon mm -hmm. award um, for sure. I mean, it's it's good. Uh, you want to read a little bit about... Uh... Yeah, so uh, the company. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy. Um, I just learned all of this today. It's pretty pretty insane. So William, um, this is from from uh, from Breaking Bourbon as well. Um, so William Grant and Sons is a family-owned Scottish company, and they own many notable Scotch dis uh, distilleries, such as Glenfiddich um, and Balvini. Balvini, is it Balvini? Yeah, it's, I it Balvini? believe it's Balvini. Okay, I don't know. I wouldn't know. They also own many other spirit companies, uh, Tullamore Irish Whiskey, Hendrix Gin, Hendrix Gin like and that. Sailor Jerry Rum, to name a few. I like Sailor Jerry's. Yeah. Um, up until recently, their brand portfolio did not include bourbon. In 2017, they purchased uh, Tulth, Tooth, or Tuthill, Tuthill, maybe, or Tooth, <laughs> Tooth <laughs> I have no idea. Um, this spirit company. <laughs> I would say Toothle Town. Toothle Town? Or Tuthle Town. One of those. Tut Hill Town. Tut Hill Town. Spirits. <laughs> which is best known for Hudson whiskey. Okay, I've heard of Hudson. Um, in 2018, they launched Fist Full of Bourbon, a blend of five straight bourbons spearheaded by William Grant and Sons master blender, Brian Kinsman, and blender Kelsey McKee. Mikichi, Mikichni. Oh man! Wow, what is up with all these names, man? Anyways, that's um, why I had you read it. These two, 
<laughs> uh, these two blenders um, basically were the ones to blend this whiskey. The philosophy um, is basically that blending is more of an art than a science. Um, has aided his it's aided his 23 year career with the company and was called upon to create the launch fistful bourbon a new bourbon brand for the company so it doesn't really say it here i mean it's cool that it gives all the background but one of the things i read on their website as well on the breaking um bourbon and then also on fistful bourbon's website is that they actually wanted to do a scotch blended style with bourbon because scotches are always blend not always but a lot of them are blended yeah you know and that's a big thing that's over a in big Scotland genre of uh, scotch exactly and there's not a huge market for blended bourbons in America until recently yeah blended, blended bourbons are usually known are um, kind of known as like cheap bourbons mm -hmm. for the most part just like whatever's left over of all the other barrels and companies yeah. they just throw whatever they can together so you can have a, a cheap bourbon to mix with your coke or your sweet tea yeah. or whatever it is you're going to use it for whereas i feel like in this particular case they really brought the science and the art i mean it says it's more of an art than a science but i think that there is a lot of science that goes into it and knowing the the proper portions and things like that to create a bourbon that in my opinion is is very remarkable for the price point mm -hmm. Um, which I feel like you can find some really decent scotches, which I know we're not huge scotch guys, but I really do enjoy some of the really like high or I shouldn't say high end. They taste high end, but they're reasonably priced blended scotches. So I feel like it kind of does that here with bourbon, which is unique, yeah. you know. I think uh, from my understanding, blending also makes it easier to make a consistent product um, because they're able to, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, mess with the flavors and they get right. you know right um, more consistency right uh, where you know if you're getting single barrel each barrel might be a little bit different in uh, in flavor you know what's strange too is I've had single barrel before that I thought like was really really good single barrel options from different whiskey makers um, and then I've had them where I really didn't enjoy it like not didn't enjoy it but like it was so vastly different than the bottle that I had previously had yeah you know like it, it 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 had more of a burn going down or it was sharper or it was a little too dull one or the other you know and mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting like you know especially some some of the bigger companies i mean they churn these things out but yeah you're right when you're dealing with a single barrel um it can be even just the slight differences in the the barrel's age the you know anything like that can i think affect the overall taste yeah so but yeah all in all solid solid bourbon I like it. Yeah. Um, now that the ice is melting a little bit, I'm starting to like it a little bit more. I mean, that's, that's my style I, for the most part. You know what's funny is I'm actually, um, I liked it better with the fresh pour. Hmm. You think you'd be uh, good with neat or would you like it with like whiskey or stones or something? Um, no, I could easily drink that neat um, and I could probably drink it with stones or even the big sphere <laughs> you know so you can pretty much drink it with anything huh yeah it seems to me it seems pretty pretty easy i it, it, honestly with the ice melting now i'm kind of um it's i feel like it's definitely mellowed out too much for me like there's not enough uh flavor okay um profile i think it's pretty good still so i, I mean it's not bad by yeah. any means it's still good it's just it's not what it was when when you first poured it mm -hmm. which is i mean that's pretty crazy because i'm not typically a neat <laughs> Neat kind of guy, 
I know the smoke, man. It's <laughs> crazy. We, on these it's crazy. it's insane. I like I'm. I, this is like the first time I feel like I'm sitting by a campfire while smoking a cigar. <laughs> um, but anyways, so we've lit our cigars. Um, we poured our bourbon. Uh, let's get on to the triggered firearm topic of the day: traveling with firearms. We have a lot of. Um, points kind of to go over mm -hmm. but nothing really set in stone so we're just kind of let this we're gonna let this topic kind of wander i guess all right well i'll start with you okay you have flown with a firearm yes legally yes of course <laughs> um, yeah it'd be really hard to sneak one of those past <laughs> tsa i think do you, you want to tell us about your experience yeah um first um before you traveled with a firearm knowing you were going to uh, were you nervous? Yes, 100%. Um, I think for me, if if you know me personally, for any of our listeners that know me personally, um, or even have heard the way that Theodore talks to me or talks about me, I am very meticulous when it comes to my research of things, and I tend to overthink things quite a bit. Especially yes, that runs in the family. Yeah, especially <laughs> in regards to laws and safety. Um, and, and making sure I'm in compliance. Now, um, I don't want this to turn into a compliance uh, yes or no debate because yeah. that's not what we're talking about. But when it, when it comes to basic laws that are federally mandated, um, like in this case TSA, I want to make sure that I am 100% in line with what they need me to be. A, because it's the right thing to do. B, because it saves time and it makes me more efficient as a person. Um, it also is a pain in the butt for, I'm sure, TSA and the travel agencies, um, the airline agencies, to have to constantly be going through what is required, what's not, sending people home with their, you know, un unpacked bags or seizing firearms, things like that. So I just, going into it, I was, I was very nervous because um, I didn't know what to expect. And to be quite frank, it's kind of, um, it's kind of... Uh, vague, mm -hmm. um, like when you read up on it, okay. even on TSA's website, it, it kind of goes through everything, what you need to do, what you don't need to do. But the wording, um, I was having a big issue with whether I could store my ammo, where, like how I should properly store my ammo. Okay. Um, because it talks about, there were, there were, part of the problem is there's like two or three different spots where you can read about it on, I believe even just the TSA's website. Plus, there's a number of gun blogs and things like that. Plus, we also live in California, which is one of the toughest states to, like, have to deal with um, as far as compliance goes, like gun compliance. So I, I was just reading into everything, and I think um, I did a little too much research, but I, I think that was also for the best um, because I was able to kind of find everything. But my biggest w issue with flying with a firearm was, okay, I know the firearm needs to be unloaded. Um, you can have a barrel flag in it if you'd like to, but you don't have to. And it needs to be in a securely locked container. So that could actually technically be the original box that the firearm came in. Okay. It could be um, one of the crazy vault tech, like biometric things and, you know, all the, all the crazy stuff that they have out there. Um, 
but it has to be a securely locked container. If it's in the original gun manufacturer's box, then obviously you have to run either padlocks through it or some kind of a tight lock to where it can't be opened. So you couldn't run one of the barrel locks, like uh, the pistol okay. barrel locks through it, because you can still kind of open the case yeah. and get access to it. So I have... Yeah, because the big loop. Yeah, exactly. So I actually went out, even though I have a bunch of padlocks, I went out and bought two smaller um, padlocks that had a much tighter loop on it because I didn't want any issue with TSA saying like, hey, this is opening up just a tad too much. Um, I think even with the locks on there, um, when you open it, it would open up maybe a half inch. You could um, probably get, um, you know, you could probably fit maybe a finger or two in the space, but you, there's no way you could obtain the firearm without okay. breaking the locks. Um, and so that was kind of their, their rule is it just, you can't be able to obtain the firearm. Um, the other thing I didn't know is whether I could fly with loaded magazines or not. And I'm still not a hundred percent sure on that one. Um, I believe technically you're able to fly with the magazines loaded as long as they're not inserted in the firearm. Um, but again, it's very arbitrary. Like what is on, like, it's just, <laughs> there's so much stuff on there and then so little of it is like specific so yeah. it's very and and they they even have tsa even has videos on youtube that they've done for news agencies or even they've done themselves and the guy has like a fake one of those orange like bright orange fake guns and he's like you just set it in there make sure it's unloaded and then you throw your ammunition in there and it's like what does that mean <laughs> like you don't just throw your ammunition. like what is what is yeah. that in the magazine in a box what is it so they do yeah. talk about um it's yeah, best. they're not using real ammo so right you know yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy. Like, that was the biggest question I had. It's like, okay, I get it. Unloaded gun in a locked container. What do I do with the ammunition? So from what I understand, you can't have any ammunition loose in your in your bag. It's I think it's supposed to be in a locked container. Um, for the purposes of my flight, let me just kind of give you a background. We were planning on going to Montana. Okay. Um, and the only reason, I mean, I, I as you guys all know, um, I can still carry. Um in, in multiple states, um, and I have the ability to do so. Um, in Montana, I, I like to travel with a firearm at all times, but the biggest thing for me in that particular case was to um, have it for protection against wildlife. Yeah. We were going to be in some really um, remote parts of Glacier National Park mm -hmm. and going all through Montana, and um, for those of you that are familiar with Montana and some of those states kind of in the... Um, the northern states and even kind of the Midwest and stuff, there's a lot of areas that are just very, very open and inhabited by, by a lot of animals. So it's, you know, not uncommon to see grizzly bears and things like that. In fact, there was a video published just before we left of these hikers being chased through a trail that we actually went on um, by a grizzly bear. So I was like, there is no way that I am traveling to this place without a firearm. So I carried my um, 1911 with me, my, my 45. Um, and I really didn't need to take a ton of ammunition. So for me, I figured 50 rounds was more than sufficient. Yeah. Um, but that's the smallest box size that they pretty much sell for, for a 45. Mm -hmm. And it was recommended that you carry it in the cardboard, uh, manufacturer's cardboard box. Um, can I ask you what kind of, uh, bullet did you use? So I, I, I actually brought two types. Um, and it doesn't, supposedly it does not matter um, it doesn't have to match. That was one of the things I was wondering. Does do the rounds have to match the factory box? Mm -hmm. You can also use one of those bullet boxes from like Bass Pro that hold like 
you know, 50 rounds or something yeah, like that. Like the, um, the little the, plastic, the hard plastic yeah, ones, the yeah. hard plastic ones. So those are okay. Anything basically where the ammo isn't going to get loose and roll around and, and get free. You know what I mean? Um, so I actually, for my purposes, I found it was a little easier to put it in this cardboard box. And, um, I fashioned, um, out of my original 1911 case that the gun came with, I fashioned a square that I cut out in okay. there, um, with a razor blade. And basically the gun fit in there, the magazines fit in there, um, along one of the sides. And then I was able to slide a box of ammunition, um, with 50 rounds. So I actually did a split. I did the Hornady, um, critical defense. Um, and then I... Had So I had, I think, 20 rounds or 25 rounds of that, and then I had 25 rounds of uh, LAX ammo okay. of their hollow point. Um, oh, okay. Their hollow point, uh, they're, they're slower, lower grain bullets, so they're a little slower, but they hit they hit pretty hard. Um, so I figured that those would be the two best options. I mean, it is a forty five. You don't need to shoot twice. Right, exactly. <laughs> that was my thought process as well. I was actually going to just take one bullet. Uh, you know. Uh, no, um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, and I think I, I think I took three magazines. Okay. Which I do believe, and that was the other thing, too. I believe the magazines were able to just be stored in the, I think they were able to just be stored in the common parts of your luggage, because it's not actually, like, a firearm, you know? Okay. Um, so, but I, I basically figured out a way to put it in that box and have everything all set up so it was all in one location, locked up in one location. Okay, so... Do you know, with, with all the research, um, the whole TSA getting on a plane thing is a federal uh, federal jurisdiction. Right. Um, was there a difference between the uh, California airport that you went uh, that you left from, or and came back uh, to, to the Montana airports? Yes. There was is, is uh, there local laws that um, are you know are they more strict? At, in California than they are in Montana? Or? I, I definitely felt like that was the case. Um, I also felt like a lot of people in Montana just travel with guns for hunting, uh, especially the part of Montana that we were in. It's okay. a very popular hunting destination. Okay. So we were up near Glacier National Park, which is technically the northwest portion of Montana. Um, so around there, there's a lot of hunting spots. We went in October, um, so there definitely was uh, things in season at that time. Um, and when I was in the airport in Kalispell, which is where we flew into, it's a tiny airport. It makes um, Ontario International feel like LAX. I mean, okay. it is tiny, tiny. Um, I think they only had like six gates. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's very small. And you board the plane like out in the open kind yeah. of thing. So um, it was – and I. it's so funny. They had like airport security, but I don't know that it was TSA, even though it's like a legitimate airport and everything. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it was, it was a little strange. Um uh, but yeah, they, they seemed to be more comfortable with it, more relaxed. Like it wasn't a big deal. However, that was the interesting part. So you do all this research, right? And you, you put it together. The reason why I chose the manufacturer's box is because it already automatically fits the 1911 in there perfectly. It's all form cut out in the foam. Um, I chose not to use a Pelican box cause that's what I had. And I chose not to use one of my snap, um, snap safes or I forget what the company brand is, but I have them for our vehicles and they're mm -hmm. really small and thin line and stuff like that. Because they're very heavy, and so you also have to account for the weight of your carry-on, because it can't be more than 50 pounds. And we were going in October, there was supposed to be rain and snow and, and, and rough weather while we were going to be there. So we obviously had to carry a ton of extra clothing mm -hmm. and, you know, warm weather clothing and stuff like that. So that made it challenging to stay under the weight limit. Um, 
so I chose the manufacturer's box because it was lightweight, it was small, it didn't take up a ton of room in my bag, um, and it held exactly what I needed it to. Um, but you can kind of go with anything. Guys actually check like full-blown rifle cases, like okay. big, big Pelican boxes, like yeah. competition shooters. And I watched a lot of YouTube videos of competition shooters that have to travel for for their yeah, for shooting the career in the competitions. And they, um, I mean, it's awesome. They they throw everything in this huge like Pelican or Plano box and, you know, everything's in there. They got like three rifles in there and all that. It's crazy. All their ammo, everything. I didn't need to do that. So then... Um, basically when you get to the gate or when you get to the airport, you're not supposed to go to TSA first. What you're supposed to do is go check your bags. And when you check your bags, you need to have your gun in your check luggage because you okay. can't take it in a carry on, obviously. Um, and so once it's in the checked luggage, what you do is when you get to the counter, you declare to the airline assistant or associate that you have a firearm. Okay. Um, that to me was very eerie. Mm -hmm. Um, with the CCW, you know, there's a lot of places you can't carry. You can't carry in schools. You can't carry at post office, post office um, locations, any any federal like location like that, um, polling places. There's a lot of places that you can't carry. And so, even sometimes just going to the post office while carrying, like on my way home, you have to ground your weapon, lock it in a secure container in your vehicle, and then enter the post office at that point. You know, mm -hmm. it's just it's very weird to walk into an airport, which I consider to be one of the more secure places on the planet. You know. Um, with a firearm. It's just, it's a weird feeling. Um, and I was very nervous and I went up to the counter and I said, you know, I, I made sure everything was exactly how it, I made sure my locks were good. I made sure everything was good. Yeah. And, um, he said, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to need you to kind of pull out the, um, the firearm and, uh, or the, the box. Yeah. And he goes, I just want to ensure that it's locked. Um, they can ask you to go back with security or TSA and they can ask you to open the box um, and they can ask you to um, slide the uh, slides back um, on any of your firearms or the actions and make sure that there's nothing in the firing chamber. Um, in my case, they didn't, um, but I know that that's something that they can do. Um, one of the things I read though is never let anyone other than yourself manipulate the firearm. Um, it's your personal property that they have no right to touch it because you haven't done anything that requires yeah. them to seize it. Um, but none of that happened. Um, he saw the two locks on it. It was very discreet. He goes, if you just hold your bag this way, I can, I can look in there without, you know, making a scene or anything like that. Um, looked in there, very discreet, very polite, very courteous. Then he said, okay, I need you to fill out, um, these tags, you know, you need to let me know where your destination is and, um, what today's date is. You're going to sign a declaration policy. And it's literally like a little tiny slip of paper that has a few of the federal rules on it. And then that's it. And then basically he, he gave me a tag to like tape on there that said, you know, firearm, checked firearm, unloaded firearm. It was a bright like red or yellow tag. I can't remember now. What, I just remember it was like fluorescent yeah. color. Um, and then he goes, you just tape that on there. Um, and then the other thing that I did do is I put my, I wrote my name, um, phone number, email address, and home address uh, on a piece of paper and taped it to the box. Like, so that way... If, if it got lost, if anyone manipulated it or anything, like, they would know whose it was. Okay. He did tell me if TSA or anyone wants to speak to you, your bag and your ticket are flagged so they know about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so if they need to talk to you, they'll pull you aside and they'll okay. find you or we'll page you. Nothing happened. Uh, checked the bag and went through TSA. Um, didn't ask me any questions. Didn't say anything to me. That was it. It was it. So that's 
pretty cool. That's overall a pretty smooth yeah. uh, experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's actually uh, pretty good because, I mean, I would be personally kind of nervous to do that. Um, especially, you know, given the changes that have happened uh, within the, you know, last 20 years. Right, right. <laughs> uh, with flying and the amount of security that goes into it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can see you being pretty nervous, but... But it's good to to know that it's not as bad of an experience as people may think. No, it was super easy in in, in all reality. And the same thing happened in Kalispell when we landed in in Kalispell. It was, you know, the exact same same situation all over again. It was just, but they even there they were more relaxed. It was like I okay. and, and I was also more relaxed though too. Yeah. You know, going up to the counter, I realized oh this really wasn't that bad. And so I just mentioned hey I have a firearm. I'm traveling with a firearm. Okay, great. You know, is your name on it? Is this on it? Cool. That's great. Here, you're going to want to put this tag on it, sign this declaration, and, you know, this and that. The other thing I will say, though, is you want to check with the specific airlines. I want to say we flew Alaska Airlines or Alaskan Air, and so they mm -hmm. do get a lot of hunters on Alaskan Air. Apparently, there are certain um, airlines that don't get a lot of hunters and don't get a lot of people that travel with guns on them, and so they're less, um, you know, they're less uh, informed of the process. Okay. But this, this uh, you know, uh, the team, it was like a, I think, oh man, um, it was like a team of, they, they had a bunch of different people working the counter, whereas at Ontario, they only had one person working the counter. Um, but it was like a, a whole team of people, and there were, like I said, there were other hunters checking guns at the same time, you know, and other, or other competition shoot. I don't know, they had, there were other people checking guns, and it was not a big deal. Yeah. They just, it was so casual there, it was like very different, it had a very different vibe and feel to it. And again, part of that could have been my perception at that point, because then I also was no longer nervous about mm -hmm. it. It's like, okay, I just declare it, they sign, I sign the thing, you know, and they put it on there, and they know, they apparently pay really close attention to those bags as well. Yeah. Um, they don't want to lose them. We did have a layover both times in, in Seattle at SeaTac um, Airport, and that was one of my fears because I know Washington can be strict on certain gun laws as yeah. well. Um, that was one of my fears, and I know Seattle, I think, is very strict on their gun laws. I think. I'm not, I'm, I don't know. Yeah. But I just remember being kind of worried, like, shoot, we're going to go through Seattle. It's going to be in my check bag. It's going to be in possession of the airlines the whole time. I just want to make sure. That's the other thing I was reading, too, is you want to make sure every state you're traveling through has the same firearm laws. Because supposedly people have been arrested, like, in JFK for traveling with a firearm and having a layover there. Because you're not supposed to possess a, a handgun uh, in, in, okay. uh, in New York. It's like crazy. Like there's yeah. some crazy, crazy stories. And I think that's also part of my problem is like I'm very well versed in like the gun community and, and learning and reading as much as I can. And so I've heard these horror stories of like this lady who lived in like, I don't know, somewhere back east and was flying down to Florida to see her family and took her handgun, had a layover in JFK and was arrested because she was in possession of a handgun. And the sad part is she wasn't even in possession of it. She just... It was in her check bag. Yeah. And it was totally legal. And, like, she had to spend the night in jail over there. And they had to get an attorney. It's like, some crazy thing. Yeah, that, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> right? And so that was that was my worry, like, going through all of it was, like, man, I just, I really hope there's no issues, that there's no, you know, that, that nothing is, you know, that nothing wrong Yeah. happens, you know. Yeah, nothing just, you know, unfair. You just never know. Yeah. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. It's, it's just definitely a... It was definitely worrisome initially, and then after going through it, it was super easy. My advice to everyone would be in this 
particular case, know where you're going, know where your layovers are at, know what states you're going to be traveling through, you know, and, and know, most importantly, know where you're leaving from, which is easy because we already, we're pretty well versed in the yeah. California law. Um, but know your destination, the laws of your destination. Um, Montana is pretty much a constitutional carry. Um, not quite, I don't think. Yeah, I would figure Montana would be probably one of but the they're, most lenient. they're pretty lenient. Like, if you have a concealed carry permit from anywhere, they pretty much honor it. Yeah. Like, it's, it was pretty, like, easy. And then the other thing, too, is their open carry. They have open carry there, too. And so the methods that I carried were very different in Montana. Plus, it was cold. So it was awesome. I mean, I, in here in California, there's only a few days out of the entire year that I can carry my 1911 in a in a holster on my belt, like on a, uh, outside the waistband holster, yeah. um, with a jacket or something like that. Yeah. And in Montana, because you never had to wear a jacket all day in California. Exactly. Like you're always taking your jacket off. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Um, and well, Southern California. Well, and then my other fear too is even if you're wearing a jacket, like in California, guns are so taboo here. That, like, I would be afraid that my jacket would open when I go to reach for my wallet yep. or my phone or something like that. And someone sees it for a split second and goes, oh, my God, that guy has a gun. You know? Um, whereas in Montana, I noticed just about every adult male who was wearing some kind of a big overcoat <laughs> had, like, a big a big iron on his hip. Whether mm -hmm. it was a huge revolver or a 1911. And everyone over there carried big guns, too. I didn't see many Glocks. Like, I know that they're there and I know people have them. Yeah. But most of the guys were carrying big old Big old guns, yeah. you know, like just big, big like, revolvers. Like the grizzly stoppers? Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole point there. I mean, they yeah. truly have to fear for their safety when it comes to wildlife mm -hmm. in some of those areas. You know, maybe not so much in like the in the cities and stuff like that. But I mean, they said that, you know, you might come, come across deer and elk and, and stuff like literally in the cities, you know? Um, yeah. That's, so. Um, I would say let's move on. Yeah. Uh, from the airplanes and talk about uh, vehicle carry. Yeah. Something that I can talk about a little bit. Cause Absolutely. <laughs> I don't have any experience flying with a firearm. Yeah. Well, okay, so let me ask you then. Okay. What can you tell me about transporting a firearm in the state of California to the best of your knowledge? So to the best of my knowledge and the way I carry, um, it depends on what kind of firearm you're talking about. Okay. Uh, pistols. Um, I, From my understanding, they have to be in a locked container. Um and they can't have a any ammo inside the gun. Um, now, what I've read and doing research, watching videos and all that stuff, um, that doesn't say anywhere in the law that your ammo has to be in a separate container. It just says that it cannot be in the gun. Um, so that's a, uh, I think that's a part that's open to interpretation. Right. Uh, where a lot of people interpret that as... Um, you know, I can have it in the same container, and that's the way I carry mine, uh, in the same container, as long as it's locked. Um, the other thing about carrying uh, in a vehicle in, in California is that you have to have a destination, so you can't just have a gun in your car, you're not supposed to if, if you're not a concealed right. carry holder, um, you know, just because you're, you're going to work or doing your daily stuff. Um, uh, you should be going to the range or, you know... Uh, you know, taking it to get serviced or whatever. Um, you can't just have a gun in your car for no reason. Um, right. So, yeah, that's the other thing is you have to have a, a lawful a, purpose. A lawful purpose to, to be uh, carrying the firearm. But the way I carry it, lock container, magazines out of the gun, um, 
and then you know obviously no, no nothing in the chamber yeah um yeah and that's what that's what i do i have a, a pelican style case yeah uh, with a nice lock on it and then i actually have a smaller one if i you know don't want to carry the big bigger pel uh, pelican case right uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And then for long guns and shotguns, um, they have to be, from my understanding, they have to be in a gun case. Um, you know, it, it just can't be like a box or anything. It has to be a, a case specifically meant for a gun, like a rifle. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a hard case. It be a soft case, whatever. Um, and there is no law that says it has to be locked. Yeah. Uh, it just yeah. cannot be loaded. Um, so I wonder if gun racks are still like a thing because i know a lot of people and i think even some of our family members up north have had mm -hmm. gun racks in their trucks even as recent as the last few years i don't know if they use them you know what i mean because i know yeah. a lot of those trucks are old and stuff like that but um i know that was like a big thing up north yeah i would say um i think and and again it's been a while since i've uh, read through all this but i think it has to be uh, fully enclosed okay yeah so, so i don't now, think it could be out yeah now no longer the big gun racks in the in your back window of your pickup anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so the way I usually carry carry a shotgun or whatever is, um, which is usually what I transport. I mean, if right. I go to the range, maybe I'll carry a different gun, but um, they just in uh, a case made for that gun, uh, fully zipped up, and you know I carry them, uh, you know, in, as far back of. Uh, as I can, you know. So right, because you're in, in, the trunk in an area SUV. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of stipulation on that, and a lot of it, I think, stem from the open container laws. Mm -hmm. Are you, do you truly have, like, an open container? Like, because, you know, you'll go to a party, or, or, or even, like, right now, if I were to say, hey, why don't you take that whiskey home? Yeah, it's, it's open. It's open. Um, if you had it in your trunk, it's not a big deal. But if it's, uh, if you know, if it's in the cab with you, then it becomes an issue. But I think there's a there's a thing that says, like, it has to actually be, like, readily accessible. Yeah. Because there's so many SUVs and crossovers now that that are, you know, have all this common space, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would agree with that. And the other thing, uh, just to go back uh, with the pistol, lock container does not mean your glove compartment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or your uh, center console. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's supposed to be in... Uh, yeah, not in your cab or whatever. It's got to be in your trunk or, um, you know, I, I used to drive a uh, pickup truck and I obviously don't have a trunk. So, I mean, that just kind of goes behind my seat or whatever. Yeah. That's the furthest back I can, I can put it unless I put it in the bed of the truck. Right. And I know that that's come into play a lot because a lot of gun owners who are hunters have pickup trucks. Yeah. And you don't want to leave a locked yeah. case just sitting in the bed of your pickup. Yeah, sliding around the bed of your pickup. Uh -huh. I mean, come on. That's that's more dangerous, I think. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so I know that they've they've cracked down on a lot of that by saying like, okay, you can have it in a locked container as long as it's in your back seat, you know, mm -hmm. under the seat or somewhere that's going to be, you know, separate. Um, so, uh, yeah, okay, cool. Um, as far as uh, vehicle carry, then that leads me into our next conversation because we've done a lot of this. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to take your vehicle. Now you're going to go out of state. How does that affect? the way that you carry um well i or don't carry um so for transport. me <laughs> uh since i don't have a concealed carry license in california um then i follow my regular vehicle carry um but once i get out of state depending on the state which most states that border california yeah i can carry because i do have a concealed carry for uh, out of state um then i can you know pretty much just uh you know carry it now yeah uh, in my car 
Yeah. You know, like a regular uh, concealed carry person would. Right. Um, so for me, that's that's where that changed. As soon as I get a state, it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to carry the firearm. Right. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm able to put the magazine in and, and do all that and carry it on my body. Okay. Um, yeah. And it depends sometimes, uh, sometimes I will usually I'll get to my destination and then carry it from there. But, um, either way, you know, uh, as long I, I just have to remember when in California you have to follow, I have to follow those laws. Right, right, right. Well, and it makes it easy, like, especially because we do um, spend a lot of time as, as family and, and as cousins out in Nevada. Um, and it's very obvious when you enter the state line there. Yeah. Because um, there's, there's <laughs> casinos immediately upon state line. Yes. Pretty much every, every inch of Nevada state line, wherever there's, wherever there's a, a way into Nevada, there's, there's casinos. Mm-hmm. So um, it makes it very obvious when you've crossed that state line and when you can, when you can do that. In fact... Before I had my California CCW, the first thing I'd do is we'd, we'd stop out in state line because um, that's just one of the things we typically do um, and hang out, grab a bite to eat. And first thing I do is get out my handgun, load up, and then I'm carrying for the rest of the trip. Yeah. Um, now, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. I carry from the moment I leave the house to the moment I get to my destination. And um, yeah, so it's... It's something that I'm, I'm definitely, and so it's hard for me sometimes to remember, not remember, but like to keep clear on a lot of those laws because unless I'm going to the firing range, um, you know, I don't, I don't have to follow those same guidelines, mm-hmm. um, with, with, uh, with my firearms. So, uh, one of, uh, rule of thumb that I try to follow is always, um, I, I try not to carry when I'm on my way home. Yeah. Yep. Just because I don't want to. I don't know, just like forget yeah. or, you know, you just don't want to deal with pulling over and yeah. doing all that. Oh, it's though, a total inconvenience. Yeah. Even though it's usually like before I get into, into the state of California because the gas taxes are usually higher, usually fill right, up, right, right. <laughs> you know, right before. Right. But, but still, you just don't want to mess up, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. That's a good rule of thumb. Um, I know I used to follow that. We would follow that pretty religiously. We yeah. would, you know, get everything packed up in, in the hotel room mm-hmm. and then head out. Um, so that's that's kind of um, kind of interesting. So that that actually leads me to um, a question. I, I don't know. I know we've talked about it before, but in your opinion, um, and I'm not asking you for the law on this one, but in your opinion, with the way California has their ammo, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but how they have their ammo laws. Um, what's your take on being a concealed carrier? Um, whether you're in California state or outside of California state, but you have some kind of a concealed carry license and you travel to a state where you have a concealed carry permit so you can carry there, taking ammo into and out of other states into California. That's a tough one for me because... um, What's the current California ammo law on that? Because my understanding, the way the law is written currently, um, you cannot bring any ammo that's from another that that has been to another state so not even just not even just was purchased in another state yeah not it even could be per- california purchase yeah. ammo under a california background check yeah that's gone to another state you cannot bring yeah. it back that's yeah. that's my understanding yeah and i again we've talked about this before but i always like to reiterate it because it's such a uh, overlooked little piece of the law now for me it is not worth um getting rid of the ammo and bring i, I bring it back how, you know? how, in, in, in your experience, and I can answer this question too, how many rounds do you typically travel with if, if you're just taking concealed carry? If I'm just taking concealed carry, um, 
Maybe 50 rounds. At the most. Yeah. Yeah. And usually not that. I usually just carry what, however, ma however many magazines I have. Right. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I have 10 rounders. Yeah. Yeah. For so, me personally, because so I, I, I missed out on Freedom Week. Yeah. That would be, <laughs> that'd be five round or uh, five magazines yeah. to hit, even hit 50. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it depends on what gun I'm taking. If I'm taking a 1911, seven rounds. I have seven rounders for those. So. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's uh, funny maybe too. Maybe four magazines. Because when I carry, when because I carry, you don't need a lot if you're if you're carrying uh, if you're shooting forty five. It's know? so funny though, because I carry my nineteen eleven <laughs> right, and on my body, like I can get the nineteen eleven and about two if I push it, maybe three magazines. The problem is I don't ever want them in the same area because I don't want them touching, clinking, yeah. making any kind of weird noise or anything like that. I want them very inconspicuous. So typically I'm only carrying one magazine in the in the firearm and then two. But 1911 magazines are, are so slim. And they are. They're super slim. So concealable. They, they hide really... I mean, you could even throw one in your front pocket, assuming yeah. you have nothing else in your mm -hmm. in your pocket. And I'm not like some of those operators where it's like, I feel the need to have like a ready-to-go like ammo holster like tucked into my <laughs> waistband for easy access. Like, my thought process is in an engagement, like any kind of engagement that I would potentially be in, it's going to be at a, a convenience store or a gas station. Like, what do they say? Like, how many of those... Like, most shootings happen in, like, really tight spaces within yeah. 10, 10 yards or 10 feet or something mm -hmm. ridiculous like that, you know? So I don't think I'm going to be reloading. I really yeah. don't, you know, unless there was, a, like, some crazy active shooter situation. But I don't think that I would ever be reloading in a in a fire live fire situation, yeah. you know, or need to reload that quickly. Especially um, if you're shooting a forty five. I'm sure that there's a lot of the gun Just advocates kidding. out there and gun trainers that are like, you're an idiot, you need to be carrying and be ready to go, yeah. and no, 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 no. But... That's 21 rounds. What's sad is during Freedom Week, I was able to get um, a bunch of XD mags that are the standard capacity. And so I have to carry three magazines, whereas with my XD, um, with just two magazines, I carry, like, substantially more ammo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, almost double the amount of ammo. But that, I mean, that's just... Um, that's I think I can carry 32 rounds. Yeah, and that's not even a question of Freedom Week. That's just, you know... Uh, You'd be carrying uh, more ammo if you had the 10-rounders. You know? Yeah, but I mean, but that's, it's more. literally only three more rounds. But with yeah. the 16-rounders, you have two 16-rounders. That puts you at 32 plus yeah. one in the chamber. So you're already at 33. Mm -hmm. With three magazines, one in the chamber with the 1911, you're at 28 rounds. Yeah. No, sorry, 22 no. rounds. Yeah, yeah. You're... My math was bad. I was right. thinking uh, four. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got you. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. But yeah, okay. So, so in your opinion, it's not worth the twenty-five to fifty rounds. Yeah, it's just. And well, and where are you going to dispose of that? Too? Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, that what they, do they want us to do? These, with it? yeah, these lawmakers. Like, what? So you want me to go down a state line, pop off, like, you know, <laughs> just you know, go drive out to the just desert, go out to BLM, and, yeah, BLM, and, and pop, and pop off, off like, yeah, before I come home. Yeah. Like, are you f freaking crazy? Like. Yeah. That is so irresponsible, and I'm not throwing them away in a trash can. Yeah. I'm not leaving them in a hotel room. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, so my thought process is I don't ever take anything out of the box when I go out of state, um, or in a box, I should say, or loose or anything like that. It's always in magazines. The only time I carried it in a box was when I flew, and that's because that's what's required. But, like, if I go to Vegas, you will never find a box of ammunition in my vehicle. You will never find loose ammunition in my vehicle, ever. Mm -hmm. They will always be fully loaded magazines. Yeah. And so to me, there is no refuting that like, hey, I'm a CCW holder in both, you know, out of state and in California, and I'm recognized in all these different states. 
this is not ammo that I went and bought out there. This is yeah. literally like my personal allotment for carry. Yeah. From what I I'm understand, not even carrying that much. Exactly. Yeah. From what I understand, um, most law enforcement officers, um, especially the ones that patrol the 15 freeway, which gets us out to Vegas, mm-hmm. um, or you know the the freeways that head out to Arizona. Um, do not police for that type of stuff. Yeah, which would all be, what, San Bernardino County? Um, San Bernardino and then Riverside if you're going to Arizona. Okay. Yeah, you're driving through Riverside. Well, you can do both. You can drive to Arizona both ways, but um, one or the other. But um, both both of the counties have sheriffs currently that are very much like, if you ha- if it's your right to carry, you need to carry, and, yeah. and we're going to respect that. And I think they also recognize that, although the lawmakers say, oh, don't bring in ammo, they, the lawmakers don't sit back and go, well, okay, they could go, you know, 10 miles outside a state line and get on BLM land and just, you know, pop off as many rounds as they need to to yeah. empty their mags and then come home. But then I'm also have no defense on my way home. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so very interesting. Okay, I have another question for you now. That leads me back to being in Vegas, right? You and I have both experienced this, um, my dad as well. We've stayed in hotels um, where we've either been concealed carrying or where we've actually had hunting firearms with us. What has your experience been with hotel carry and travel carry? Um, well, with two or different... just being in possession, too. Yeah, two different uh, ones. If I'm concealed carrying, I'm concealed carrying. Um, meaning concealed. Meaning... No one should know. No one's going to know. Right. Um, you know, I'm just, you know, that that's just the way I feel. If you're concealed carrying, you got to conceal carry, you know. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. It could be off body, on body. It does not matter as um, long as it's concealed. The times I've taken a, a shotgun or a long gun um, into a hotel was because I had a shotgun for hunting. And, um, you know, we're not going to leave them in the car. Right. Um, and I'm not going to walk through a hotel with a shotgun case. Right. Without letting security or somebody know, right? So that we have to, we de- we will declare so and follow whatever their rules are there. So I have a little background on that because we we obviously were on this trip mm-hmm. together the the trip that Theodore is referencing with the hunting shotguns. Um, this was after for those of you listening that might recall the um, route was it Route ninety one or something like that the, yeah. the big country festival in Vegas yeah the Las Vegas shooting the biggest mass shooting in the history of forever i believe in, in well the history well, of california i mean the uh, u.s is, yes um it was that happened i believe in october um and we ended up hunting outside of just outside of vegas on the california side though no outside of state line sorry outside of state line yeah, yeah. um it, on the on the california side um and it was in January, early January. Yeah. So literally three months after the events mm-hmm. took place. Normally, I don't think I would have thought twice about just going in and, you know, because they were so, we had been so many times, they've been so relaxed. Like, yeah. I don't think I would have thought twice about alerting anyone like, hey, we have shotguns, we're going to be bringing them in. Um, however, um, at that time, we were very aware of the the stigma on bringing yeah. a firearm to Vegas into a hotel. Yes. And so I actually called ahead on that trip and I asked them, do you guys have a firearm policy? We're going to be hunting outside. We can leave them in our securely locked vehicle. We had a truck with a locking bed cover that you couldn't see through. So no one would have even known. 
But, like you said, we didn't want to take the risk of leaving yeah. them in a vehicle if the vehicle were stolen or anything like that were mm-hmm. to happen. Um, and so we actually opted to bring them in and they gave us the instructions, you know, let someone at the front desk know they're going to call security. You can bring them up to the front desk. Um, and then security will escort you over to the the security office and they have a huge gun safe in there. Yeah. It's pretty much empty. Um, (laughs) you know, I was surprised because the area that we hunted is kind of a popular area to hunt. I'm surprised that not very many people go over there, stay at state line and come back. Well, and I know the guy mentioned that they have it, that they've dealt with it before, yeah. so they were very familiar with the process, but it was a pretty popular, like, it was like height of the season out there, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we were seeing other hunters out in the area, so it, it was just very interesting that, that, yeah, there was no one else doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, it was really, again, really simple, easy process. Was a, a little nervous for that one, too. It's kind of weird. And then when you get escorted through the entire... And, of course, the security office is in the entire opposite <laughs> end of the casino. It was. It's, like, we not walked, even close. We walked through the whole casino with... Carrying, uh, like, carrying big shotgun shotguns. bags. The, I, and I was kind of glad I was dressed in my hunting gear still. Um, because we look like hunters. Yeah. You know, and, the, and people kind of knew, like, okay... Bright these, orange hats yeah, yeah. and camo and, <laughs> These you know. guys are... Um, or, or not bad. <laughs> yeah, these guys are just out having a fun weekend yeah, of hunting. We, we weren't getting arrested or anything. No, absolutely. It still drew a lot of looks through the it casino. It for sure. It's crazy. Um, I felt a little awkward. Yeah. And it's so funny, though, too, because, I, I mean, I've carried so many times in, in, in Vegas and um, in Arizona as well. We just got back from Arizona and um, carrying all over there in, in hotels and um, through casinos and things like that. And not once have I ever been stopped or asked or talked to or anything you know so it's just it's very it's very different vibe Mm -hmm. for sure um but yeah so so your experience with that um was you know the same one that i had but it was in your opinion it was not nearly as bad as we thought no no not at all i will say it did take quite a while it took a long time um it took a long time for the check-in part uh when we when we got there and then we we because they have to record every serial yeah. number, every you know if there's blemishes on the firearm, they want to know everything. And it seemed um, maybe seemed a little bit longer because after a long day of hunting, you just want to go up to your room and take your boots off and, and shower and yeah. then go get something to eat and yeah it, yeah definitely. Um, but um, I was I was really hoping that it wouldn't hold us up in the morning, and it it really didn't. It was pretty Mm-mm. quick. In checking the them out was way faster than yeah. checking them in. Um, I will say too, um, if you have the opportunity. And it's a gun that can break down and fit into a standard size suitcase. Um, in my opinion, if you're going to be in the room, um, if you're going to be in the room, you know, it, it, to me, it'd probably be a hundred times easier just to yeah. lock it in your suitcase. Yeah. For next time. Like, I would just break it down, take the barrel off, take the lower receiver, and just shove it in a suitcase. Because all my suitcases have locks on them. Yeah. It, it would be a hundred times easier. So, and, and you have, you know... Um, like tenant rights when you're in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. So something to note. The other thing that I will also note too is if you are doing a lot of traveling where you're carrying a firearm, specifically a handgun, always make sure that your room has a safe. Yeah. Um, having a safe in the room is a huge, huge thing. Um, having the ability to lock up that firearm and not have to worry about it. Um, as much as I don't mind keeping things in a locked suitcase, um, it's easy to cut through a bag or oh, yeah, you know sure. do whatever so having the opportunity to have a safe available is important um and then another thing i did want to note on and and then we can kind of go through if there's any leftover items i feel like we've actually covered quite a bit tonight yeah. um but carrying in a national park 
Um, the only reason why I bring this up is just because I've done a lot of traveling to national parks. It's one of our goals to hit as many as, as kind of we can. Yeah. Um, so national parks are interesting because if you take like the Arizona concealed carry course, um, they'll tell you like, you know, if you're going to carry in a national park, that's okay. Um, you know, it's, it's covered. And I think that's exactly what was told to me in, in my Arizona course. Oh, you can carry in any national park. That's not actually true. Although you can carry in just about any national park, it defers to state law. Surprisingly, even though it's a federally owned park, okay. it defers to state law. So, for example, if you go on Sequoia or Yosemite or any of the national park websites for California national parks, it actually says carrying a firearm defers to state law. So if you have a valid CCW license in California, you can carry in any national park in California. However, if you have one from Arizona or Nevada or any other state in the union, you cannot carry I believe only peace officers are the ones. And even still, California does not recognize other states' peace officers as having concealed carry rights. Really? Wow. Yes, that is what the Arizona instructor told us. That That's he crazy. said that when he comes, um, I think he was Phoenix PD or some one of the big cities in, in Arizona. He said that when he comes into California, he is technically not supposed to be carrying a firearm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Um, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, isn't that, I mean, isn't that insane? Come on, California. <laughs> like he's a peace officer. Yeah. We don't even recognize it. It's yeah. crazy. I, I don't yeah, know. That's, again, crazy. that's just me complaining about California. Yeah, a little bit. I, I didn't know that. I, I really did not know that. I just found that out right now. That is... That is I, I figured if you're a police officer, you can... Right? That's yeah. what you'd think. I believe federal agents can, but I okay. don't believe state police yeah, officers... Yeah, any any police officer out from out of state, but I, again, federal. I think you know FBI, yeah, ATF. I'm sure those, federal, yeah. yeah, they can carry anywhere. I mean, even like um, I don't know if it's Border Patrol or what. What's Border Patrol's uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security? Yeah, I think they can also. Yeah, 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 because yeah. they're constantly going between state lines yeah. too, especially down south, like on the actual border and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it is absolutely crazy. A lot of the times you are not supposed to be CC or concealed carrying when you come into California. Wow. California. It is tough, crazy. Huh? No, I know it's, it's, I had no idea until I sat through that course yeah. and he mentioned it to us. He goes, yeah, I'm not supposed to carry here. And I'm like, wow, like that is insane. Like you protect the law. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> anyway. it's like, yeah. So anyways, um, um yeah, moving on, I'm going to cl- got to close this out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so my cigar was pretty good. Um, I think I did a, a pretty bad job lighting it, so it didn't burn too straight. But but it, as long as the taste is there, yeah, very consistent flavor. It's right? pretty cool. It. I will say the one thing I don't like about nubs is you know how with a cigar you're supposed to get the coolest smoke possible. Yeah, it's hard to do that with a nub. Yeah, you're starting end. to get pretty hot. Uh, it's just pretty pretty quickly. The yeah. ring gauge is so big, it yeah. it just generates a lot of heat. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. But super, um, super smooth throughout, it, uh, you know. Other than that, I finished my whiskey um, pretty quickly. Um, ice didn't, I still have some ice cubes in there, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't re-up. Ryan re-upped neat. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you like it neat? It's, it's great. Is it's, that where it's at for you? Is that, that your, your, your go-to method for drinking this fistful of bourbon? Definitely. Um, I could definitely and easily do this. For me, I think either stones or the big sphere oh yeah would sphere. be perfect only because it is nice to have it a little bit cooler okay 
had it been stored, like California always, it's just warm. Yeah. I think my house sits at like 80 degrees. You know, I think if I was in, in Montana or in another state where the inside temperature stayed at like 60-something mm. degrees, it would be fine. Yeah. But just having a little bit of that chill kind of cuts a, a tad bit of the bite. But, I mean, even still, I feel like I could drink this neat in just about any situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty unique um, combination of smooth and flavorful. Right. I like it. Yeah. Um, can't beat the price point either. No, not at That's all. That's for sure. So... Um, got anything you want to add? No, I mean, I think that's it. I think we, we did a, a, a lot of, um, you know, we, we went through a lot, a lot of stuff. I, I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway um, from our firearm topic is, is research. Do your research. I like it. That's what we do. I mean, yeah. th that's, that's basically what you have to do. You know, you always got to be smart and you always have to um, do your research and figure out um, if it's worth it for you to do certain things, you know what I mean? Uh, because the laws, um, as much as... So so basically what happens is lawmakers who don't know much about guns write these laws, um, but they don't know uh, all the circumstances. Right, they don't... So most there's of them a lot don't. of circumstances that you're going to run into that aren't written into the law. Right. Um, you know, so it, it makes it really hard to... Uh, make the decision so you had pretty much just have to make your own decision and say like okay well this law doesn't say this so yeah I guess I can do that you know yeah and it's there's so much like I said there's so many arbitrary parts of these laws where it's yeah. like ah is that what does that mean yeah. like so oh and then for example one of the ones we found was when you're hunting apparently you can have uh, like a loaded magazine does yeah. that mean that the magazine can be inserted into the firearm yeah, or attached a like a tube magazine yeah I don't know, but yeah, we we have always unloaded completely unloaded completely. our fire, firearms, regardless. Yeah, um, because the way that the way the law sounded, the magazine you can have them in the magazine. You just can't have one in, in the, the chamber in the firing chamber. So I can have ten rounds in my lever action, as long as I don't have one in the chamber. Which to me, that's what that sounds like. Then me. if you read, that's the fishing <laughs> game code. But if you yeah. read the penal code, it's like you can't have anything in the gun. Yeah. So, so it's like, well, okay, so what is it? You know, so. Again, do your research. We do our best to interpret it for ourselves, not for you yeah. guys, but for ourselves. Um, although I will say that I do hope that some of our interpretations help you interpret your research. Yeah. Um, and that's the biggest thing is anyone who ever puts out a video or a podcast or any kind of blog or notes has made it very helpful for me to go, okay, I understand the logic behind this. Yeah, and we're good at um – Knowing to the place, knowing the laws, the places that we travel to. But if you travel somewhere else, exactly, you know, you got to know. Yeah, you know, I've never traveled to Oregon with a gun. Well, in some I've places, never traveled to Washington. Conceal carry, even though you have a permit, you can't carry it in the glove box, or in even though you have a permit and uh -huh. you can carry, it either has to be like on your body or in a backpack or yeah. something. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there are little, certain uh, laws that are nuanced for different mm -hmm. states and different places. So I have just taken to only carrying on body or in my personal backpack. Okay. And I never, like, I don't put it in my center console, glove box, anything. It yeah. just, it either stays in the safe in my truck, my backpack, or my body, and that's it. So, anyways, the whole point of that was just do your research, do your due diligence, and um, again, thank you as always for putting up with us and and <laughs> and listening to us, and hopefully you gather some good knowledge. All right, Smoke the Podcast signing off. Thank Have you. Have a good night.